Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 59 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are recording to you. Uh, this is Sunday, October 23rd, and I am feeling great. You know why? Because Duke basketball is back. Also, because my Lions beat the Washington Redskins, and I can walk around my city of Washington, D.C. with my head held high. But before we get into everything, I want to bring in my usual partners in crime. First, out in Atlanta, we have Jason Evans. What's up, Jason? Uh, not much, not much. I am with you, man. I am so excited that basketball is back. I know it wasn't a regular season game. I know it wasn't even a preseason game, but even a scrimmage. Getting to see these guys, that was fun. Absolutely. We're going to get into that in just a minute. Before that, out in Denver, we have Sam Klein. Also, I believe Sam is the resident Washington Redskins uh, fan on the on the podcast. So yeah. this is my I only would... chance to say this. <laughs> I, I would I would save it for baseball season. Um, my, yeah. as I think I told you guys, and I've, I've told other friends that my my Redskins fandom at this point is active indifference. Um, so you can you can talk smack to me about the Redskins, but I don't really care anymore. Oh, that's fine. I mean, this, this is the one chance I have to walk around DC and, and not get any crap from other people. But the... I can I can tell you that we're, so we're recording what probably three hours after the game ended. Yeah, and um, I I didn't even know uh, what had happened until you said it just now. Oh um, well, there you go. So, yep. Oh well, I had a, I had a lovely afternoon <laughs> not watching NFL football. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, also we're gonna have a we have a special guest tonight. Um, he is one of our old school. Uh, friends of the podcast. He was on one of our first ever episodes, uh, and he is back to talk a little basketball with us. He is Newton14 on the DBR forums, and his name is Mark Newton. Mark, welcome back, man. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Um, Always great to come on and and talk about Duke. Absolutely, and why don't we just jump right into it. Uh, Last night on Saturday night, um, Countdown to Craziness happened, and it's the uh, I mean, practice has been going on for a, for a couple weeks now officially, um, but this is the basically unofficial jumpstart to the season. This is the time when we can meet the players, we get to know them, and we get to see them play for the first time uh, for most people. So uh, I'm going to start with you, Jason. Jason, uh, did you get a chance to see Countdown to Craziness, and what did you think? Uh, yeah, I definitely got to see it, and um, uh, there was a lot of stuff to be very, very impressed with. Um, I, you know, Luke Kennard, I thought, played fabulously and really, uh, you know, he showed last season there were times where he struggled a little bit shooting, <laughs> um, and he showed that that was an aberration and that he's uh, that he's going to really fill it up this year for us. But the the guy who I think you have to talk about the most to me is, is him, who was so smooth um, it absolutely seemed like he could get his shot any time he wanted to. Um, uh, there'd been some criticism, uh, some folks who'd said that in practices, and uh, at least I'd heard this rumor, that he, he wasn't a guy who passed very much, but I want everyone to go back and watch right at the 14-minute mark. Um, he drives the lane. Uh, the defense comes to him, and he does a beautiful dish to Emil Jefferson, who um, who gets fouled on the play. But it showed me that, that Jason Tatum is capable of, of passing the ball a little bit. But, man, his jumper really sweet he's able to get it off um uh you know with ease uh, he he fades away a little bit and and i see why people are comparing him to kobe bryant because of that he really does shoot the way kobe bryant did and before that the way michael jordan did where they elevate and they elevate backwards but they're still able to get their shot off um and hit it a tremendous amount of the time i thought tatum looked absolutely fabulous and then um frank jackson 
to me. I thought it uh, seemed really strong with the ball, very confident. He's clearly a, a, an amazing athlete. There were a couple times where he powered to the rim, and you were like, wow. It was, I was very impressed with him offensively with the ball in his hands. I, 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 he needs to identify situations better. He needed to help out Grayson Allen more. I mean, Grayson Allen struggled some, and a lot of that was because much of the time it was Grayson and four freshmen. Um, on the floor together, and and that was a tough situation for Grayson because I think the the blue team, the, those freshmen on his team, stood around a lot and just watched while Emil Jefferson and Matt Jones caused chaos on defense, especially when the ball was in Grayson's hands. And uh, so those guys need to learn. They clearly have a lot they need to learn. But it was a lot of fun to watch the new players play. Um, it was great to see Emil Jefferson back on the floor. I thought he looked really great. Um, uh, Marcus Bolden uh, was a little disappointing to me, grabbed a lot of rebounds, but, um, really to me looked like he's still figuring out what to do on offense. Um, uh, you know, when the ball was, he didn't move really well without the ball. And when the ball would get in his hands, you know, he could try and bull his way to the basket a little bit, but didn't seem to have a lot of moves. And I think it's going to take a while for him to really round in the game, but I, I thought it was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, and, and. I thought the guys looked really, really good. They they looked like they deserve that number one ranking, especially when you consider that Grayson Allen had had a really off day, didn't um, didn't try to do a lot, and and his team struggled as a result. Sam, what about you? What what were your big takeaways? I think I saw a little more from Marcus Bolden than than you did. I I saw the. I mean, I noted the same that you did, which was that there were some moments where I thought that he could have done more. Um, but I see the athleticism, and I see his his ability that's going to come up um, eventually. I was also, and, and I was going to make a similar point as you did about Frank Jackson and just how athletic he looked. And I know that we had heard about that. I know that he had won the McDonald's All-American um, dunk contest, and that was all good. Um, so, so we knew that he was going to be athletic, but I, we just hadn't seen it yet. Um, I really enjoyed watching the veterans play. I think that Matt Jones um, didn't try to do too much, even though we, we did have to see him taking the ball up a couple times. It's not like he was initiating offense like, you know, like a traditional point guard. I think he was getting it up to the top and then and then not trying to force anything. Um, and then Emil Jefferson, it was just really great to see back um, on the court and and doing making a lot of plays. And I think that the announcers may be biasing me here because I was listening to the announcers and I know that, you know, it's Chris Patola and somebody else who is there to just prop up Duke and talk about, you know, how great everybody is. But Emil Jefferson really seemed like he was in midseason form as far as setting up good plays for other guys. He made a couple of good passes. And I was generally pleased with with what we saw from him, given how much time he's been out of, you know, game speed, um, game competition. So yeah, I, I thought that Jefferson my, my had, main... Jefferson yeah, had ahead. five assists. Emil yeah, Jefferson exactly. had five assists. Matt Jones had four assists, considering neither one of them were the, the point guard, you know, or I guess Jones sort of was on that team. But um, Jefferson really, I agree, Jefferson passed the ball really nicely. And, and it's going to be it's going to be cool to see because like, right, a guy like Bolden um, has like a very specific role. You know, he's he's probably going to be more about rebounding than anything else. Maybe he becomes a, a good defender inside. Um, Jefferson can kind of do a lot of things for for a dude his size. And I'm curious to see exactly how he's deployed this year, because even though he's not a great shooter, he can really do most everything else on the floor. I mean, he has good vision. Um, he has really great rebounding. We know that from years past. He's a great defender at almost every position that you want to put him at. You know, he's not going to defend point guard, but he can probably defend every other position. So he's going to be called on, I think, to do a lot of different things for this team, depending on, you know, who he's playing with. Like playing with Bolden is going to be really different from playing with Jeter and 
and then playing with Giles. And Jefferson's going to have to play with all those guys and then subbing in the different wings. You know, Tatum brings brings a totally different element just because of his size than any of the other wings do. So when Jefferson's playing next to Tatum, he doesn't need to use his size as much. Maybe he needs to be he needs to be more aggressive on defense because I don't know if Tatum is quite there on defense yet. So there's a lot of different things, a lot of different roles that, that Jefferson's going to have to play for this team. And and I think that he's ready for it. And I think that he showed last night that he's um, that he's prepared to to do a lot of different things for this team. So I think that my main takeaway was how ready Emil Jefferson looks to to be a star for this team this season. Yeah, I think is I, I look. I, I agree with everything you guys said. One thing I. I noticed last night, and we may have to get a judge's ruling on this later on, and somebody's going to have to check us on the boards. But last night, I think they introduced Bolden as Marquise Bolden and not Marcus. I've been calling him Marcus this whole time. Um, I, I, think that, I think that we had heard Marquise before. Um, yeah. And I was, I was skeptical on pronunciation of names because if you guys remember on the podcast at some point um, last year when Javin Delorier committed, they, someone wrote it up somewhere that he was Javin Delarier, and yeah. I was like, that ain't that ain't the way you say that guy's name, but yeah. that's what it says in the media, so that's gonna be right. But then last night they were calling him Delorier, so I was like, okay, thank God we're we're calling him Delorier. Um, right. Do you want to do, do you want to ask the guy who was at the game uh, uh, what his impressions were? Yeah, let's let's bring in Mark <laughs> in this situation, Mark. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll preface this with um, I took my daughter, my eleven year old daughter, to the uh, game last night. Uh, she is now a hooked, obsessed. Uh, first of all, with Grayson Allen, um, but the whole experience last night uh, just did it. So I was there last night a lot as a fan and and making sure she had a good time. But, I, you know, obviously I still keyed in on certain things. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Matt Jones. Uh, he takes a lot of grief on our boards. He played some killer defense last night. Um, it boggles my mind the people that don't see the value in him. The guy yeah, he, he won the game. He, I mean, not that there was, but but his defense on Grayson Allen and and the chaos he caused, um, uh, on defense won the game, in my opinion. Absolutely, absolutely. And if he can shut down Grayson, <laughs> that should tell you something. Um, yeah. Good, good luck, rest of the nation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, Tatum was a stud. I, I've I've seen that. I mean, fortunately, I, this is the third time I'd seen him, but. Um, yeah, Tatum was a stud last night. It was me, probably Jason, that said I'm not sure about his passing. Um, I've had I've written that on the board, but um, I think he'll get there. And I, he doesn't look like a selfish player to me. I hope it didn't come across that way. He's just no, no, got and, and such I've, I've a heard scores it, mentality. I, I've heard that from other people, so it's not just you. Um, and and again, in, in no context where I've heard it has it been that he's selfish or that he's no. only looking for himself. It's that it's the context of people saying, you know, he, he's not someone who looks to pass first. And that's not necessarily wrong because he is a, a remarkable scorer and, and, you know, clearly can get his shot and, and hit it. But, um, you know, it's just been something you sort of note when watching his game that um, when he gets the ball, he tends to be able to get a shot and take the shot. And yeah, that's not necessarily well, a bad thing. If you can hit it, that's a good thing. Yeah, and one quick point. You teed me up perfectly. In the first practice, the, the general open practice, um, he took an incredibly bad three from the right right wing. Uh, it was a step-back fade three. Kay actually blew the whistle with the ball midair to kind of say, you know, that's not the shot, and it splashed the nets. And Kay was like, oh, carry on. 
So <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna see that he's gonna take shots. I think that and miss that we just bang our heads over, and then there's others they're gonna wow you. I mean, yeah, he had a couple last night where, like you said, midway through the air, like, oh, that's a terrible shot, and then it goes in. You're like, it's not a terrible shot anymore. Uh, but hopefully, he can limit uh, those type of shots that make us uh, all pause. Um, but yeah, there's there's a couple of those last night. Yeah, I, I would I would say that if if Duke's gonna lose a game this season, um, which you know, let, let be be reasonable, Duke's probably gonna lose a game at some point this season. Um, Black it's gonna fever. be. It's gonna, it's gonna have to be. It's gonna be. You can already see it's gonna be on a night when both Tatum and Allen aren't able to get their shots to fall because both of those guys they create in very different ways, right? Um, Allen creates by by driving, um, and and Tatum creates I think just by elevating. Um, you know, the that Kobe Bryant comparison is really interesting. Tatum's obviously a lot bigger than Kobe Bryant was or is, um, but. Right, it's a similar set of moves. Maybe it's it's more like a cross between Kobe Bryant and Dirk Nowitzki because they're you know he's about he's about the average of those two sizes. Um, but it's gonna to beat Duke, it's gonna have to be a night when both Tatum and Allen aren't able to hunt their shots appropriately. And and honestly, I think that's the only way that you're gonna have to beat Duke is is waiting for the night when when those shots don't fall because yeah. the tough thing, the tough thing I think being a guy like Tatum where he's a young guy and he's playing you know at a totally new level this year there might be defenders out there that are able to to prevent him from from playing that game that he wants to play. Yeah, but think about what you just said now. And it, this is such an interesting team. To, to I'll use that word. Okay, say those two guys are off. Wow, Luke Kennard, Harry Giles, Emil Jefferson can do work in the paint. Uh, one of the Kentucky boards last night were like, if they post anybody up, it's going to have to be Emil. Well, yeah. I'd be ecstatic if we post a meal up a lot because I'm confident he can score. This team has so many different ways they can score. It's, it's really scary. No, I, I, think, wait, I, I want to, hold think, on, hold on, hold on. Oh, hey, wait, Mark, are, are you saying that there were like threads on the Kentucky boards about Duke's blue white game? Yes. Because, because I, I, I'm not watching any Kentucky scrimmages. I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> There is a, Blue Nation, all right? there is a link in the countdown to craziness thread from last night where uh, they linked back to the Kentucky board and they were unimpressed and we were sloppy and blah, blah, blah. And so I actually went and read it. It was pretty humorous. That's but awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, the jealousy. But they, but they the watch it though. Unbelievable jealousy. Yes, obsession. Yep. Uh, I want to touch real quickly on a couple guys that I, I saw last night that I hadn't got a chance to see before, obviously, um, but really struck stuck out of me. Um, first, Javon Delurier, I thought he had great interior defense at times. Um, he was going up against Emil Jefferson, and so you, you kind of say, oh, well, he kind of looked bad because Emil Jefferson was playing that well in the post. But he had a couple of great like defensive positioning, um, or just being in the spot to help out on defense on the, on the weak side. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting because I, I haven't heard a lot about him. I, he could jump out of the gym. We saw that last night. Uh, if you saw in warm-ups, he was jumping and his head was basically looking down the rim every time he went up for a layup during warm-ups and, or, or for a dunk. But I, I think the one thing that will keep him on the floor or put him on the floor is defense. And I think if he – is one of those guys that can come in and, and play like, you know, spot minutes, um, interior defense to spell um, um, Bolden or spell Jefferson uh, while they're on the bench or Chase Jeter. 
that's going to be good for our depth. That's going to be good for later on this season when we, you know, undoubtedly will have uh, a couple of uh, of times where there's uh, uh, our guys are tired or our guys um, are just, you know, hitting that wall, especially the freshmen. I think that's going to be good to see. The other thing I saw that was really interesting, uh, Jack White. Uh, it was the first time I had seen him play anything, even even a, a YouTube clip. And I like his confidence. He he hit like three threes, I think, last night. And it was two. not he what, hit two. He hit, he hit two. two. He hit two. But, yeah. But, but they, were, they, were, they were popping shot. They were catch and shoot. They weren't like, oh, you know, hey, man, shoot it, shoot it. He took the ball, and as soon as he got it, he was in the air with it. And it was a, it was a pretty good stroke. So uh, I was pretty interested. I was pretty ecstatic to see that even he can shoot a three-pointer um, at 6'7", which is not something you see from the last 6'7 uh, freshmen. I mean, look, um, let, let's yeah. be clear. Jack, Jack White is not going to play much this year. No. At all. Where is Kevin DeLaurier? <laughs> right, right, right. But um, if defense will hit you on the court in this Because offense. we had injuries. Yeah. But, but, but these guys um, next year and the year after and, and probably the year after that are, are, are going to be very, really good players. Yes, um, they're, real, they're real dudes, just not this year. Yeah, four-year yeah. guys. I'm going to describe yeah. Javin's athleticism to you in two words. Freshman, Maggetti. That's what I see in terms Ooh, of I don't that. know. That, that's, not that's talent, strong. Jason. Strong. Not, <laughs> not talent. I'm talking athleticism. Quickness, you know, jumping he could, ability. He, the only reason he could only jump so high was because there's a roof on Cameron Andrews. He, he grabbed a rebound in practice in traffic it just it, it i dropped everybody's jaws i mean he is an athletic guy and he's lengthy hey, donald donald i know you're captaining the ship this week mm-hmm. you got to get us to mark's description of the the secret practice he went to or, or yeah. whatever you call it well we got to get to that we're going to get to that let me just say there is one downside that i see from this team just after the the camp countdown to craziness and i think you guys might agree with this there's only one basketball. Yep. So uh, yep. the number yep. of scores we have on this team, like I like the fact that anyone on this team can score 20 points in a given night. We cannot expect all of them to score 20 points on every single night. But I, mean, I think there's going to be one night where – I think the good thing about this team is that if somebody will, does have an off night like Tatum, like Allen, there's somebody behind them that can step up and score 20 points and score and, or, or get the rebounds necessary to pull out victory. So I, I think that is the – the drawback, but it's also a good thing. It's a different, it's a different level in a different situation, but it is kind of the same problem that the Warriors are going to have this year, right? Where yeah. they have enough dudes that can score in different ways that um, it, that that's going to be the biggest challenge. And and <laughs> thankfully, Duke has the best coach in the history of college basketball to manage that challenge. Because um, with a lesser coach, you could see this this imploding where different guys are like, oh, well, you know, Grayson Allen gets all these shots, or Jason Tatum gets all these shots, or something like that, and, and you know that Kay is going to put a stop to that real quick if any of that kind of problem comes. Yeah, Grayson, I saw him interviewed um, earlier on. He's on record in that interview as saying he didn't care as long as we won, and if he scored 11 points a game instead of 20, knowing he can score 25, that's fine by him. He don't care. So if he takes that mindset, that's going to be a good thing. I, I feel kind of sorry for Luke Kennard. I think yes. there are a heck of a lot. There are a heck of a lot of teams across the country that would say there is not a bad shot that Luke Kennard can take. Totally they would agree. Try and get him, they would do, they'd try and get him 15 plus shots a game, and they would expect him to average 20 points a game. And I think that's realistic. And I think that it's uh, I. I think your comment about there's only one basketball. God, that is that's 
I mean, it's obvious, but it's also really, really dead on target. And um, uh, I think Luke Kennard, uh, you know, is the guy who we may get left out in the cold. He would. Yes. He'd be a star. star. Yes. And he might not even start. I I got a question. I mean, is Luke Kennard as a sophomore, does he look that different from how J.J. I actually think he may be a little more diverse offensively than J.J. Redick was as a sophomore. Yeah, his shot isn't as good. Right, so but let's, let's be clear. He's not a JJ shooter, he's a scorer. Yeah. yeah. JJ, but, but JJ yeah. didn't put the ball on the floor. JJ did not put the ball on the floor and go right. to the basket the way Kennard does. Not right. even close to it. Um, and Kennard's not, I mean, he's not the shooter that JJ is. No, duh. But he's not that far off. It's not like he's, no. he's way worse. No, agreed. Totally agree. I mean, if I told you Luke Kennard was going to hit 45% of his three pointers this year, would you think I was crazy? Not really. A no. little bit. A little bit. But he was but, three but I can see it happening. Night. I can see it happening. Uh, and he's going to have open looks because everyone's going to be focused on Allen and Tatum and Giles. Right. Yeah. That's right. Harry, we didn't. We didn't. Harry Giles wasn't there. <laughs> but right. The yeah. best big man. Many people think he will be the best big man in the country. He wasn't even there for the game. Well, he was there, but he just didn't play. Uh, yeah, neither did right. Sean Obi. Um, he danced a little bit. He definitely danced. Um, but yeah, let's get into this. Uh, Wait, 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 wait. We're, wait. We're going to do the playground pick. I forgot about it. Remember? Yeah. We're, do you want to do, do that need, now? Yeah. Do you want to do that now or do you want to do that once we're done with we should do it. Shouldn't we do it now? We should do it now because we're, we're sort of done talking with, about Canton craziness. This is the time, right? This okay. is where we, we do have, it. We can have Mark judge as well. Well, Mark yes. is going to judge. So, so, so for those of you out there, we're, we're going to play a little game. For those of you out there that uh, before the podcast, we came up with this game. Um, that's based on the, the rosters that they were uh, that were there for Countdown to Crazy this last night. Supposedly, the coaches uh, divided them up playground style. So you know what? We thought, why don't we do the same? So here's what we're going to do. Sam and Jason are going to do playground style rules. Uh, I'm going to flip a coin. Um, it's actually a Cuban quarter. Um, and I'm going to flip this coin. Heads is going to be Sam. Tails is going to be Jason. Whoever wins the toss, you either get the first pick or you get the second two. And then after that, we're going to alternate until all the players are picked. Mark and I are going to judge which team is the better team. Sound good with you guys? Yep. I'm ready. Going down. I'm ready. All right. So the coin toss is a heads. So that's Sam, right? Sam, first pick or second two? I will take the second two. Okay. So, Jason, you're on the clock. Of course you will. Now, I want to point out that we are. This is not based on how they played last night. So I'm taking Grayson just... Allen first. Grayson and I, I, I don't want him to be judged on what was a little bit of an off game. Now go we're ahead, gonna, Sam. Take. We're marking these down. I know who you're taking. I know who you're taking. You know who I'm taking? I, I, I suspect. I, if you, I, in my opinion, there are three guys who are, who are above everybody else. I'm taking Emil Jefferson and Jason Tatum. Here well, we there you go. Yep. All right. <laughs> I, I would have right, done the Emil, same. We got Tatum. All right. Now we're doing alternate. Jason, you're up. Um, it's a lot, lot harder right now. And, and there, are, there are three guys that I'm picking among. Um, but I'm going to go Luke Kennard. Luke Kennard. Does he get Damn. another pick? I think he gets another pick. No, no, we're doing alternate now. Oh, alternate now? Yep. Oh, um, I'll take Frank Jackson. Frank Jack. All right. Matt Jason. Jones. Matt Jones. Matt Jones. That's easy. I had Matt ahead of Frank. All right. I had Luke Kennard behind both of them. <laughs> um, I will. Um, I will take uh, Marquise Bolden. Bolden. Chase Jeter. Chase Jeter. Jack White. 
Javin Delorier. Hang on, Jack White. I'm writing these down. Javin. Go ahead, Sam. I think that's it, isn't it? Or do we have to? Oh, have to, uh, you guys left out somebody. You left out some good. really yeah. good guys. You have, have, have to have Frank and Justin Robinson. And Justin Robinson. Those, those are the two guys I have left. I wasn't sure. Okay, so I have to pick between between Frank and Justin Robinson. Uh, or you could go with with Pagliuca. I could also take Brendan Besser. Don't yes. Don't knock on my boy. Um, Sam, are you? I mean, Donald, are you getting what I'm getting? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh no 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 no! Harry Giles doesn't count. Yeah, you're not allowed to take Harry Giles. Oh, why not? Yeah, we excluded Harry what? Giles from the from the competition. Uh, yo, if every every team needs a hype man, and so for last night, both teams had their own hype man. So you guys can pick one. I'm just uh, saying. I'll take. You know, listen, I'll take the O baby as my hype man. Okay. Um, but uh, ooh, um, I'll go with uh, I'll go with Justin Robinson. Justin Robinson. Okay. Well, I, I had plenty of guards, so I need a big man. So I'll take Frank. Frank. I mean, we only had we only had two big guards left, so or two <laughs> big uh, power guys, like you know, post guys left. So. All right. So there's uh, if you're not if you're not counting uh, Giles and Obi, you got two guys left. So Sam. Oh, do I still have to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The walk-ons. Oh my god. You gotta do the walk-ons too, man. We judged the entire team. This is dumb. All right, Pagliuca. <laughs> Pagliuca, and that leaves Jason with Brennan. Brennan Besser. Actually, right. can, can I take Harry Giles at this point and get him Besser? <laughs> nah, nah, you guys changed the rules. Jason, if you can, listen, I don't want to disparage Brendan Besser, but Jason, if you can tell me a single thing about Brendan Besser's game, then, then, then I'll give you the game. <laughs> His hair was really slicked back. He had a lot of oil in it. Yeah, he, he, uh, he was rocking that. He, he, Miles Plumley, I think, uh, pioneered the, um, the greased hair pregame look. Yeah. I don't know how I, I feel I, about I would it. Like to, I would like to point out about Paglius and Besser that – I mean, how freaking awesome would it be to be a walk-on of the Duke basketball team? Should yeah, we I win a national that. title? These guys get rings. <laughs> yeah, I watched the uh, I watched the intros. Um, on uh, they had it on a on a on the Blue Planet YouTube page. I watched the player intros this morning, and uh, <laughs> Brendan Besser goes out and he's like, he, he realizes very quickly, he's like, yeah, I don't know if yeah, anyone's like getting super hyped for me. So he spends about half a second like pimping it and then he's like all right, i'm just gonna go high five like a handful of people and then go back to my spot yeah <laughs> all right let's review these teams uh and then i'm gonna give it to mark and he's gonna help judge uh so for sam we have emil jefferson jason tatum frank jackson uh marcus bolden marquise bolden uh jack white justin robinson and nick paliusha and for jason we have grayson allen matt jones chase jeter luke Kennard, javin delorier antonio vrankovic and brennan besser all right mark Ouch. I'm going to lean slightly to Jason's team. Slightly. Yeah, baby. <laughs> he's got uh, he's More got experience. I got experience. And offensive mojo, yeah. I'm going to lean I'm, Jason. I think that I, I think that my team's greatest weakness um is the ball handling. Um, yes. I'm, well, you like, have Frank I'm, Jackson, so. I'm trusting right. I'm basically trusting Frank Jackson to become the point guard and and that's kind of me projecting onto this team what I think might happen this year. Um, based on what we saw yesterday and just based on what we've seen in the past, I don't know that Grayson Allen or Matt Jones is capable of handling 25 minutes of point guard a night. But I think that Frank Jackson might be able to do that. And my, my team's strength is solely on the basis that you think Frank Jackson can, can be an effective steady point guard. Because uh, if he can, oh my God, we're going to crush Jason's team. <laughs> By the way, no, 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 you're not. My strategy 
Matt Jones is going to guard Tatum. Yep. Matt Jones is going to make Tatum's life miserable, the way he made Grayson Allen's life miserable. And Grayson Allen is guard, going to guard Frank Jackson, and you're 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 going to struggle to get the ball up the floor. You are, you are. So your only chance, White, your only chance, your only chance is that Emil Jefferson is able to really control the inside. Because my big men aren't aren't as good as your big men, but I'm I'm destroying you at the That's one. That's the other two. thing. It's the thing. I'm getting every rebound on this team on in this game. Yeah, you probably are. That's true. Um, but luckily, my team's not going to miss. So I so I will tell you that when we I will tell you that when we ranked, um, I I did a very brief exercise um, to rank these players before we did this draft. So I ranked in the top five the guys who I think are going to be who should be based on what we saw yesterday and what we know. Um, the starting five until Giles comes back, which is um, Allen, Jefferson, Tatum, Bolden, and Jackson. I think those guys make are like the most sensible starting lineup as far as like matching up traditionally against other teams. I'm not going to be surprised if if you take Frank Jackson or Marquis Bol- Marquis Bolden out of that and sub Matt Jones in. Um, but I thought that Allen, Jefferson, Tatum, Bolden, Jackson were the were the top five, and I got three of those dudes in the draft. See, I'm um, rocking so- with you, Sam. Like I. The reason why I'm rocking with Sam slightly is because, one, um, I think they have the best leader uh, in Emil Jefferson. I think him, uh, him being on the floor offsets the fact that there may be a little bit of uh, uh, less experience. Uh, but also, Emil Jefferson, if you guys watched last night, he could be a backup point guard. Uh, I don't know if you saw the end of the game uh, where he basically oh, yeah. he, point he guard. Sure walks the ball up the floor. <laughs> Um, so I think that's the hidden hidden treasure right here is that Frank Jack can be the point guard, but I think Mill can handle the ball too, uh, if necessary. Um, so I I'm gonna I'm, <laughs> I'm leaving I'm leaving that way. You might be underselling Justin Robinson's growth spurt. I'm just yeah, he's throwing that out there. He's only six eight, and apparently, apparently, he's still growing. They said he's growing. Yeah, you know, he's he's gonna be a, he's gonna be like seven two, you know, at the end of the year. So just just watch out for my boy. <laughs> um. But I know we're, we're, I don't want us to devolve into um, projection, projections for the season yet. We're going to do that in a future podcast or discussing who we think the starters will be. But if you think that there are going to be th- – and Sam, it appeared to me that you said that Tatum, Frank, and Bolden would all start. If you think there are going to be free, three freshman starters um, before Harry Giles come back, comes back, I think you're crazy. I, I think the starters will be Grayson – Tatum, Emil Jefferson, Luke Kennard, and Matt Jones. Um, yeah, I don't see. Uh, I know that's not a big team, and I know yeah. that's Tatum at the four, um, and Kennard at the three. But the, uh, that's that's. I think those good, those guys are going to be the starters at the beginning of the season. I think I, I think one of Jones or Kennard is going to get squeezed for minutes, but, but we can we can do minutes later. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Future podcast. The- Let's get into the yeah. practice now that now that we we have our, our teams here. Let's get into the the practice that uh, Mark uh, has uh, went to a couple weeks ago, I believe. We talking about and practice? We, we talk about. We're gonna talk about practice for a little bit. Uh, he went to a practice, uh, and I actually, you know what? I'm just gonna kick it over Mark and let him tell you guys all about it. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, thanks. And um, I was incredibly excited, as Jason can attest to, and some of the private messages I sent to him and others, but um, yeah, so thanks for having me on. We are incredibly blessed to live in this area and be able to go to things like this. Um, I went to the general open practice a couple weeks back, maybe three weeks, 
And then last week, uh, a big shout out to the Emily K Foundation. If you haven't heard about that, please research it. Please give. It's a great cause. But they do this benefit. I found out about it. And for 250 bucks, you go, you get an open practice. And this time we were in the lower bowl. Um, and more on that in a second, because the general practice, you sit in the upper bowl. But you get the open practice. Then they do a tour of the Hall of Fame, lunch in the Swarf Hall. Coach K comes in and gives about a 20-minute speech. And then we we all get to uh, meet him, get an autograph item, and get our picture taken with him. And, oh, my God, it was like a kid at Christmas. So uh, very awesome. I, I would encourage any of you guys to do it. Um, this was the sixth year. I think they're going to have it um, ongoing. But it, it was the best $250 I ever spent, hands down. But um, I, I got there early. I knew exactly where I wanted to sit. It paid off. Um, I'd been to enough practices to know kind of how K runs things and where they are. The players are normally, um, when they take a break or whatever, on the the what is the opposing team's bench um, during games. So that's kind of how they sit. So I sat on the edge of the scorer's table and was fortunate enough that someone on the inside of the program sat right in front of me and talked to me the whole day. And that was just awesome. Um, I won't reveal who that was, but uh, the practice, man, it was it was just it's fun watching Mike Krzyzewski run a practice. Um, if for nothing else, that was good. But I, I learned uh, learned some things. You know, watching them, you, you get to see them in practice. It's different from a game. But um, some of the little tidbits were, were very interesting, such as Matt Jones, I was told, won every competition the entire summer. Pickup games. If they played video games, if they played tiddlywinks, Jones was on the winning team. Did not lose. He's now a think winner. of that for a minute. He's a winner. Did, did not lose the entire summer. Are you That's telling crazy. me that, that the key to a potentially national championship team is tiddlywinks? Because if so, I'm I'm playing right. I'm going to play right after we're done. Could be. <laughs> Just pick Matt Jones if you're going to start a team. On it. Yes. Um so that that was really cool. Um, you know, Tatum, you see, we talked a lot about him earlier, um, but he was just, he was really good. And you, you see the Kobe-esque type things, but um, it's just fun. They watched, uh, they worked on man-to-man. I, they did not work on zone. Um, uh, I'll just tell you that right off the bat. Um, the the Emily K practice, uh, we were told that the focus was going to be on defense. Um, when we got there, they handed us a practice plan. It was handwritten by K. Um, it went through, you know, everything. Not surprising. Everything is organized in time down to the to the second. Um, they have the so they they passed that out to us, and I was told they have every single one of those from the 37 years he's been coaching. Um, I have no idea how much room it takes to store that, but they have them all. Um, What was really cool, we've often talked about how Kay molds his teams based on the personnel he has, right? He doesn't have a system that he tries to force the kids into. He develops a system for the kids. In his practices, he does not plan the next day's practice until the night before every time and it's based on where the team is at in that moment um 
things that they may, may need to work on um, as a team or individually. There's some individual items in there. Um, where they're at, what he's trying to put in, um, and you know it's a little harder in the one and you know one and done area uh, era. So every night before the next practice is when he develops his practice plan. I thought that was really cool. And again, it's a testament. I think you mentioned earlier he's the best coach in college basketball. For my money, he's the best coach ever in any sport. Um, the man just thinks differently than normal humans think. Um, but in terms of defense, they worked on full court man-to-man. -man. They worked on um, half court man-to-man. -man. They worked on um, two different half court presses. Um, one was kind of a soft press where, you know, the idea is just trying to use as much clock as possible and force the, the team to, you know, get set up very late in the shot clock. And then off the other one, it's kind of the same setup, but if the ball, if the ball handler moves to either corner, they immediately trap him. And so there they're trying to force turnovers and, you know, and get runouts. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, one thing on the injury uh, to Giles, I know there's a lot of angst about that, but it was stressed in, in cave and said, it's the, the knee thing, the, the latest one he had, it, it was just a basic scar tissue cleanup or whatever. Um, it was not minor. And I saw him that day. He was walking. He had stitches on no, no brace at all. He was walking around. He looked fine. Last night at the event, he come out for player introduction um, he did a little dancing uh, in the center court. He he moved fine. There was no favoring the knee. So I'm really excited to to see him, and I think it's going to be sooner than later, um, based on everything that we know right now. Um, I, I think we're going to see the kid play. It's just a matter of when. And you know, I'm sure they're they're being as careful as they can possibly be. But I don't know if you guys saw any of that on TV last night or not. Um, nah, I was I able to see the uh, all the intros. I, I watched it live, so I was able to see all the intros and stuff. And and to me, it looked like – I mean, he came out and, and looked like he was going to play. He obviously didn't. Um, I don't even think he warmed up. Uh, I, I don't, no, like, he uh, did not. Yeah, but um, it, it actually, seemed like he was very – like he, like you said, he danced. He was running around. Like when all the uh, intros are going on and people are running – like jumping up and down and doing – the choreographed dances and stuff. He was a part of all that. So it seemed like he was moving pretty well uh, for someone who had just had his knee scoped uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. He moved around really well. Um, he went out there when they were doing warm warmups. He didn't go through the layup line or anything like that, but he did walk out there. I actually thought he was going to jump up, uh, you know, get some shots up, but he didn't. So um, the wait continues, but um I'm excited. I haven't been this excited about a Duke team since the 99 season. Uh, I'll just be honest with you. They've, they've got so much talent. It, it, if it all comes together and Kay talked about that last night at the end, I don't know if that was on TV or not. Um, but he talked to the crowd a little bit at the end and he stressed, do not take anything for granted. Stay humble. These guys are going to have to work, but it, you know, it, it can be a very special team is the way he has put it. Um, so uh, it, I had never met Coach K, believe it or not, in all these years. I was extremely nervous. Um, but when it was my turn, I got up there. It's really cool process at how they do it. Um, you hand your phone to the assistants and then you, 
you go up, you shake his hand, you hand him the item. He didn't have a lot of time for small talk, and I expected him not to because, hey, he's got a signed 220 autograph. So, um, but um, that was really cool. And then I got a picture with him uh, with our arms around each other. That was what that was nice. And then when I got my phone back, the guy had taken about five or six pictures um, for the entire process. So really, really cool event. Um, Emily K, they do it every year, 250 bucks. And I don't know about you, but that's a very, for a rabid fan like myself, it doesn't get any better. And I'll go ahead and tell you, that was my Christmas present for my wife. So worth every penny. That's awesome. Uh, so one question, was it on a weekend or was it during the week? They do it on a Saturday. Um, Saturday morning started at uh, 9.30 and uh, practice starts at 10. And on the practicing, and Coach K talked, he talked to us during practice. It was a little, it was very hard to hear, but based on where I was seated, I could catch a lot of it. Um, but he said at the end that he used to have his practices be two and a half hours to even two hours and 45 minutes. And he's evolved to shortening the practices. He said, we go about an hour and 45 minutes, hour and 50 minutes max, but we go hard. And they believe, believe me, they went hard. There were very few breaks. Everything was fast paced. You finish one drill, you go right into the next drill. Um, the guys had to run sprints probably three different times during that practice for not getting into not getting set up um fast enough for Kay's liking um that was so they go hard for an hour and 50 minutes um and he Kay said he feels like that is more effective than the long drawn out price practices where they get maybe a few more breaks so that was pretty cool um, but I want to tell you about one drill that they did. Um, they they did this in the other open practice too. This is really hard. They they put four minutes and fifteen seconds on the clock. They do a three man weave going from one end to the other, and the last guy lays it in. The other two guys stop at the wing. They catch passes from players on that side. They shoot jumpers, and then they go back the other way. And that's what you get going back and forth for four minutes and 15 seconds they have to make 120 baskets not points baskets you shoot it from half court it counts as one and wow. i gotta tell you that looked strenuous and he even caven said that is very hard for the guys to do so they did it the first time and they they hit 119 and so they didn't. Uh, they didn't make the 120, and he made them do it again. <laughs> those guys. Oh, those guys were oh, gassed. Oh. They were totally gassed. Mark, I would that was that. very neat. Wait, wait I gotta know. I got Hold on, I gotta know. What, were they on 119 and someone missed a jumper, or were they like on 117 and they? No, the last of... basket made it. The, the guy hit a basket at the buzzer to get to the 119. Okay, so it wasn't like someone had a chance to get to 120 and, and miss the shot. No. Okay, no, that, that would have been a clutch moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. I remember back in my freshman year, which was the 07-08 season. That was Demarcus Nelson's senior year and Kyle Sandler and Nolan Smith's freshman year. Um, they had an open practice for the um, for the incoming freshman for my class, and it sounds like it was in a similar format where like they bring everybody in and then they start having the practice. and, and Kay was talking to us 
it's a little bit of a different, um, you know, audience and scenario. Um, but they did that same drill. And I st- that's the only thing from that practice that I remember is watching them do that four and a half or four minute drill um, with everybody shooting tons of baskets. It is it, like, I remember it just being like total sensory overload because there are so many basketballs going yes. everywhere. Yes. Um, and I remember just being floored at how much fun it was to watch that. And then also at the end, like you said, how tired all the guys look. Uh, yeah. I think that when they did it with us, they, they just barely hit the 120 like they got like 121 i want to say yeah it's uh, incredibly tough that. and they and, and and when they got it they all like they all started freaking out they're like oh yeah we did it um, yeah and everyone was cheering. Yeah. it was cool yeah um, it was cool it, but some of the stuff i'm going to tell you i think is not a surprise to any of you the guy coaches every little detail um they, they he stops play a lot um coach capel does a lot of running the practice Kay's the master overseer. He gets, I don't want to say Kay doesn't coach because he does, and he, he's in control the entire time. Coach Capel is like the guy that's making sure, okay, next drill, next drill, do this, get here, get there. Um, so Capel is is very much, you know, more of a head coach in that sense than he is an assistant. So that was, that was pretty neat. Um, Kay still gets on players. Uh, you screw up. And you're going to hear it. And poor Chase. Um, I think that's the thing with Chase. He just makes mental mistakes. Um, if he can ever get to where he limits those or, or gets rid of them, I think we're going to see the player we know is inside him. But his, his Chase's problem is mental. That was very clear to me in practice. I, that's I, some great I, insight. That is yeah, great. I, I just want to really cool. go next time. <laughs> yeah, I want to give you one funny thing he said. He, uh, you know, it's impossible to remember everything. Um, it was a one sequence. Uh, they do a lot of half-court scrimmaging, and then they'll do some full-court scrimmaging. Uh, sometimes it's four-on-four, four, sometimes it's five-on-five. Five. But somebody went out for a rebound. I can't even remember who it was, and they didn't get it. He stopped play, and in classic K, he says, Guys, if you need to ask a question, you raise one hand. If you need to grab a rebound, you raise two effing hands. That was <laughs> that's awesome. That was classic K right there. That is really funny. Yeah. Oh, and one other, uh, some poor soul. There's always that idiot in every crowd, right? Um, you're at a private practice. It's a practice, right? You're supposed to sit there, be seen, and not heard, right? Well. Early on, some guy thought it was a great idea. He had brought this big camera with one of those long tube um, things on it. Um, a and selfie stick. No, 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 no. The big professional <laughs> camera, right? This guy yeah, had, had a long lens. Long lens. Yes, the long yeah, lens. Like a, like a telephoto lens. So the way, to, the way the gym is set up, Behind the scores table is where we sit. The the seats on the other side where the crazies are, those are pushed back in, and they've got the extra side baskets. This fool gets out of his seat, walks around to the other side, and is snapping photos. And oh, I'm no, like, oh, oh no, my. Like in the middle of the practice, Yes, basically. yes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to murder you. And <laughs> Kay notices him. And he says to an assistant, get this guy out of here. Get him back in his seat. I don't want people walking around. Now that's I, don't know what, 
I don't know that's what the, that guy thought he was going to get away with. <laughs> yeah, that's the clean version of what he said. But it, it would seem, yeah. He used, some more, uh, he used some more military language. To, uh, uh, yes, yes, yeah, a little bit more. more. That's what he called it with Marshall, right? Military language. Military yeah, language, right. yeah. But um, it, it was just a really, really cool experience. Um, something I would do again in a heartbeat. And I, I would encourage you, if you ever get the, if you've never been to a K practice, go to one. It's worth it. $250 donation to the Emily K Center, is that correct? Yes. That's exactly what it was. Uh, every penny goes to the Emily K. Um, yeah, that's, that's a no-brainer. I mean, compare, yeah. compare that as an experience to, like, scalping an $80 ticket to a early season, you know, like, low-level opponent Elon. game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I mean, that, no, that, sounds, well worth it. that sounds more fun than that. Yeah, no it, it was no comparison. It was really cool. Yeah, and there were I mean, people say, that had that had come in from you know different parts of the country that had flown in to to see it. So, I mean, we haven't. So, in the history of this show, which is now coming up on sixty episodes, and we've only we've been doing this for almost two years, we've never done a, a episode of this podcast all together in person. Um, but uh, I think like that would be a great <laughs> that would be a great excuse for us yeah. all to be in oh, to yeah. be in Durham and to do it all together. Uh, yeah, and um, we could bring our phones in. They had to be turned off to silent, but we could bring them in. We could take as many pictures as we wanted during the practice, as long as it wasn't flash photography. We could uh, record. I recorded um, about 80% of his final talk to the team at the end of the practice. Um, it took me a minute to realize, hey, I could be recording this. So uh, I did that, and um, so, it, it, you know, it, it's well worth it. Very cool. That's just an incredible experience. And uh, I'm glad we were able to get you on here to talk about it. Like, I mean, that's, that's something that now next year, I think we all have plans. We need to, we need to figure out how to get this podcast finally take it on the road and we can start one of these, uh, these, uh, I guess, closed open practices. Yeah. And uh, again, thanks so much for having me on. I do want to get a plug in on one thing. Uh, most of you guys on here were here when Jumbo was here. Um, the guy had a great basketball mind, and he did these things for years called the phase post. He would break the season down into segments, um, and he would do write-ups. We have a team that does it now, um, and we work really hard on it. Uh, it's probably not as good as Jumbo's was. I'll fully admit that, but I would just encourage people, please join the discussion. We want to drive more discussion in that thread. Um, we've added some new writers this year. You'll see them coming up in some of their later sessions, but I, I would, you know, just encourage everybody to, you know, just discuss Duke Coops and give us your thoughts, right? You know, if, if I think Matt may be a six man and you don't tell me why or vice versa, but we just want people talking about Duke Coops. That's, that's the goal. Well, right. And, and Mark, the, the reason we all love the DBR is because of the level of the discourse. I mean, people talk about it all the time. It's not just a rah 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 website. Yeah. Um, and and bulletin board. Uh, the bulletin board, the forums especially, um, encourage people to make cr constructive criticism, to yes. challenge each other. Um, and and those threads, the 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 phase threads, are a great place for people to do that. Um, and and if we're all yes men, if we're all like, if we all do nothing but debate how many minutes people are going to play and things like that. It gets to be really tiresome, and, and I think those phase threads are about as good a place as there is anywhere on the boards to discuss things a little more in-depth, a little more detailed, 
And there are very, very, very few college basketball sites on the internet um, that that strive for this level of discourse. And, and props to you and all the folks who are involved in those threads because they really are remarkably insightful. Thanks. And, and this season, above any other, is a great season to join in because there's so many ways this could go. The lineup, who's going to sit? Who's going to start? Are we going to play big or are we going to play small? Is Tatum going to be at the three or the four? You can, there's so much good debate to be had about this year's team. Absolutely. And uh, once again, we want to thank you for coming on the podcast. All you got there, Mark Newton, uh, a.k.a. Newton14 on the DBR forums. Reach out to him. He, he's obviously very well versed in, in the game of basketball. He's going to be talking about uh, it all season on the forums, and just like we all are. And uh, uh, he's a great mind here. We, we appreciate you being back on the podcast. I think this officially makes you uh, a friend of the podcast, like a, an actual friend of the podcast. Uh, and we'll have you back on soon. Thank you. I'm, I'm, thanks again, and I'm happy to come anytime. And in our next segment, we want to quickly shift gears uh, to the NBA and uh, some uh, news that came down in the last couple of days uh, with regards to their new collective bargaining agreement. Um, one of the things that was talked about uh, being uh, debated over the last over the last few years has been the one and done rule. And uh, there was talk that the uh, NBA Players Union and the NBA owners would discuss uh, that rule um, and implement uh, something uh, of a longer extent, a longer uh, length, um, whether it be two or three years uh, in the new collective bargain agreement. Well, the new collective bargain agreement was uh, uh, officially, I guess, agreed to a couple days ago, and the one and done rule remains. So uh, we want to talk about that for a little bit. I want to start with Jason because he had uh, a lot of thoughts on this. So I'll kick it to you first, Jason. Yeah. And, and by the way, I don't think the, the CBA has been officially agreed to yet. There may have, maybe there's news that I missed. It hasn't officially been agreed to yet, but. They've sort of begun to... They've agreed on this, at least principle. They've, they've yes. agreed on a number of aspects of it, and they're just sort of dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and getting that stuff done. And they have said that um, there will not be a change of the one-and-done rule. And, and I'm furious. I'm absolutely furious at the NBA and the Players Association. I don't understand why they have done this. It doesn't make... One-and-done makes no sense whatsoever to me. It's bad for college basketball. It's bad for the players. It's bad for the NBA. I don't get it. We should... Uh, there should absolutely be a rule that is very similar to what they have in baseball, which is some of these kids are ready to go to the NBA right away. Look, it would have been insane for Kobe... I'm sorry, not for Kobe Bryant, but uh, for Kobe Bryant, yes, or for LeBron James to spend a year in college. There's no point for a guy like that to spend a year in college. Um... Some of these guys are ready for the NBA right away, and they should be allowed to go to the NBA out of high school. I don't understand why we are forcing them to come to take classes that they don't want to take, um, you know, uh, pretend like they are actually part of a college campus when they really aren't necessarily invested in college at all. Um, we're forcing them to go to school when they don't need to be going to school. These people are professional basketball players. That's what they've been probably for several years already, and they should get paid as quickly as they can. But if they go to college, they should have to stay in college for two, probably three years. Let's move them along toward getting a degree. Let's begin to, to really teach them the things that college basketball can teach them. Let's make sure that they're actually going to classes, taking classes, proceeding toward graduation and being the student athletes that we know 
um, college basketball is supposed to be populated with. I don't understand why the NBA didn't decide to change this awful rule. It shouldn't be one and done. It should be two or three and done with an option to go pro out of high school. And I, 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 I just, I don't understand it at all. I, I don't get why the, pl- by the way, the owners kind of want this, um, kind of want to change it, but the players are the ones who don't. And I really don't understand that because the players are the ones, the existing players should want to keep competition out of the league. They should want to hold guys back because the guys who come in are taking the jobs of current players. I don't understand it. I don't I, I get think, it. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. But I'm gonna I, I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a minute. I agree with you on 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 most of what you what you just said. I think the one aspect um, that I was focused on uh, was the last point you made, where the fact that there's 450 NBA player jobs, and there's only going to be 450. They're not expanding anytime soon. Um, they're not adding any new teams or any new roster spots. So you would think that they would want to preserve. Uh, their spot in the union as long as possible. But the devil's advocate part of it is this. The NBA is not doing a collective bargaining agreement on the NCAA. And I think the, they're probably their positioning is one and done, two and done doesn't really mean that they have to go to college. They just can't go to the NBA. Um, they can go to the NBA D-League. They can go straight to the NBA D-League. They can go to Europe. Um, they can go to China but they don't have to go to college. But I think what, the, what this means now is that if the NBA isn't going to do something about uh, the one-and-done rule, then maybe the NCAA has to do it. Um, of course, they're not going to because they're the NCAA. They won't even rule on the UNC allegations. But I think that's the, the devil's advocate here is maybe the NCAA has to do something about this and not the NBA. I'm just not sure what the NCAA could do about it, right? I mean, the, if, the, if the players want to leave, the only punishment that the NCAA can have is on the schools that they came from. And, you know, what are you going to – like, is, is the NCAA going to punish Coach K because, um, you know, because, because Harry Giles left after a year? It, it doesn't – I'm not sure that you're addressing the, the, the issue here. And like Jason says, it's really on the NBA to, to change it. And, and I, I think I kind of agree with Jason. I don't know that I'm as, you know, as fired up about it. Um, but it is, it does seem like kind of a, a crummy system for everybody involved. If, if all these kids are coming in and then leaving after a year, so they're not getting much of the benefit of what you get from college. Um, they haven't matured that much. And, and I, I don't know, I mean, I, I don't know what kind of statistics you could cite. Um, but like how much more mature are the guys coming out of one year of college versus the guys who used to come out of high school? Uh, mm-hmm. is there, is there like a, is there a better success rate for those guys sticking in the league? I don't know. I don't. I don't sense that there is. There are plenty of guys that leave after one year and then you'll look back in four or five years and, you know, they haven't done anything or they're in the D league or they're in Europe or they're not playing basketball anymore at all. Um, so I, I think I agree with Jason that um, baseball seems to have the, the best system in place, but at the same time, baseball has a much more robust minor league system. So the guys who are coming out of high school in baseball, they're, they're 18 or 19 years old. They're still mostly aren't making it to the majors until they're like 21 or 22. Whereas in basketball, the expectation is as soon as you're, on the team, uh, you're a contributor on the team, or you're going to be very soon. Otherwise, you don't really have a spot there. And and that's kind of where the difference between baseball and then like football and basketball comes is that the the best minor leagues for basketball and football are the ones um, that exist in college, which is not the case in baseball. Minor league baseball is a lot better than college baseball. Um, so I don't know how you solve that without without really devaluing the quality of college basketball. 
um, if if all the really good players, and maybe it is by by holding them in for two or three years. So wait, it's wait, really I, only the players who are leaving. Well, half I, of the half I, I of the league, half of the league is is around because of this one and done rule. They're in like a half. If you think about it, the one and done rule has been around for about ten years now. So you would have to think that around about half of the league. If if the first players that came out are still are still playing, you know, basketball, that's ten years. That's a seasoned veteran. But it's hard for them. I, I can see how it'd be hard for them to want to change the system that got them that benefit that they benefited from in the first place. So that's the devil's advocate part. Jason, what did you have to say? Well, first of all, addressing that, there's such a small. There really is a fairly small percentage of the NBA today that was one and done players. Most of the players in the NBA played longer than that in high school. I'm sorry, in, in college. Um, uh, so I, I don't know that they would look at it and go, oh, no, the, the system that I was under, um, I, I, just, I just don't think uh, that, that it's that, um, that makes that big a difference. But the, the biggest reason that I think the NBA needs to do this is it'll improve the game. I mean, is there any question that if, if you took these kids who go one and done and made them play for two or three years for really good coaches like Coach K and, and, and uh, you know, some of the other very, very good coaches in college basketball, that they'd be better prepared for the NBA? There's Maybe. no question about that. Well, the only, the only difference being that when they're in college, they have limited practice time and limited interaction with the coaches. So it, and I'm going to make up numbers here so that I, cause I don't know what these actually are, but let's, I think it's like 20 hours a week of practice. If you get like, how much better are you going to be if you have 20 hours, if you have, you know, unlimited practice, say it's like 40 hours of practice a week with your NBA coaches or 20 hours a week with the college coaches. And yeah, maybe with coach K it, it, it makes a difference because he's, cause he's really good. And there's probably a handful of college coaches that can provide something on the, on the same level as, as the NBA quality coaching, but in the NBA, they're focused on basketball. I mean, you want to part of the whole part of the idea of getting to the league as quickly as possible is as soon as you get to the league, you're on the NBA trajectory. You get to practice like an NBA player. You don't have to worry about school. You're, you know, you're, you're learning their lifestyle as opposed to the college lifestyle. And so I think that the kids want to get to the NBA as quickly as they can. Um, but to your point, Jason, I think that the, the product is better if the kids coming in are more mature, even if they don't get that extra practice time. And that's where it, that's where it really comes from. Um, if they get, the opportunity to live on their own a little bit um, within the confines of college, which, you know, they're going to play more. Be, they're going to get more game experience and there's no substitute game for game experience. They're, they're not going to get the same life experience. They're not going to get the same level of coaching that they are in the NBA. Um, and if the NBA, you know, had a very robust system for, you know, teaching the kids how to be adults, because um, I think that 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 probably plays into the the maturity issues. I mean, like, look at look at our guy, Jolly Okafor, right? All of a sudden, you know, he went from being on a college campus where, you know, most of his day is, is, is programmed and, you know, he's allowed to have fun, you know, during the off times, but most of the time he's, he's scheduled to be doing things uh, in the NBA. It's like, you go home and like, that's it. And he can, you know, get in a car and drive 110 miles an hour over a bridge. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know Jolly Loco for, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you, you know, I'm like his dad or something and the, and he should be following my lead. No, no, but, but like, he got in trouble. But he got much, in trouble a couple of times. Yeah. Right. And how much more, and how much more, prepared would he be to like to be out in the real world and and let's face it being an nba player is like barely like being in the real world right. um if he came out even at 20 or 21 rather than at 18 or 19 well um, and I'll, I'll i'll give you another reason why the nba should want kids to stay in college and 
that reason is uh, the the casual basketball fans out there will get to know them a little bit better playing and starring in college basketball versus sitting on an NBA bench and and working a lot in practice. Oh boy, uh, you know, hey, have you aren't you really excited about Andrew Wiggins? Have you heard how much he's playing in practice? I mean, come on. Um, uh, now Andrew Wiggins is a bad example because Andrew Wiggins would have gone directly out of high school to the NBA. But I would argue that that spending the year he spent at Kansas didn't necessarily introduce him to America all that much more than if he'd gone directly to the NBA out of high school. The NBA is is cutting itself off from from stars because we're not getting a chance to get to know them until they get to the league and until they're, um, uh, you know, until after they've been in the league a little while. Uh, one of the things about college basketball is March Madness is one of the most watched sporting events of the year. And the NBA is not getting the full benefit of guys having a couple years in March Madness to become household names for people to know their game and be really attracted to them and interested in them. Um, and so I think that's another place where the NBA is missing out. And then the last thing is, I think it's bad for college basketball. I think that having these players for multiple years allows the fans to become more connected to them, and it makes them better players, and it it gives us some uh, some certainty and some understanding of what teams are going to be like from year to year. I mean, goodness gracious, every single year, we have no idea what Kentucky's going to be like. Oh, yeah, I guess they're a top five, top ten team because they've got all these you know new studs, but but the college basketball fan doesn't have any idea uh, how uh, you know what any of the players on Kentucky look like from year to year. And to be honest, same thing's starting to happen to Duke a little bit, um, more than a little bit perhaps. Uh, so uh, it's bad for the college game that we have this happening. And I think that the health of the college game and the health of the NBA game are intertwined. How, how can they not be? This is people who love to watch basketball. And uh, the NBA is doing a disservice to college basketball. And I think that's really, really unfortunate. I, I think I, to to kind of wrap it all up, I think the the NBA is focused on improving the NBA, NBA product. And yes, there is there is I believe that having a, a robust college basketball uh, system will help that. But in their mind, their job is not to help improve the NCAA. Their job is to help improve their bottom line, their product. Um, and there's more, I mean, if you think about it, there's more players now that are going to Europe or they're going to the D league that you don't hear about. The reason why is that the minor league system that we talk about that's so robust in baseball is college basketball. Um, so I think that's kind of the, the, the wrangle is that they don't control their own minor league system. Um, whereas in baseball, they do. Um, I mean, even in football, they, they, the NFL has done a great job. Uh, at staving off competition by saying that these guys who are so- freshmen and sophomores just aren't mature enough to be in the NFL, and they have to wait until they're three years out of uh, high school before they are eligible. So uh, I think it's just Leonard, a matter of – Leonard Fournette says hello. Leonard Fournette says hi. Exactly. And and, and there's a couple people who over and the years – And before him, Jadavion Clowney. Yeah, who could have definitely uh, been in the, in the league and, and probably dominated – um, you know, from the from the get go, but uh, because their NFL, their union is so strong, because their uh, their rules are so strong, um, and they've been able to hold those off even through legal challenges. In the case of Maurice Claret, um, I, I think that is the difference here. Maybe it's going to take somebody challenging that system legally. Maybe it's going to take 
uh, you know, somebody who says, hey, I shouldn't have to go to college for one year. I should be able to do what I want um, and, and trying to get legal challenges. And that might be the next step. Um, if the NBA is not going to do anything about it, if the NCAA won't do something on their end, um, like you said, there's, their, their options are probably limited. The next step is probably through legal challenges. And now we're going to go to parting shots. Uh, I will start with uh, Sam. All right. I had two comments about the uniform aesthetics at Countdown to Craziness. Um, the first is that on the white uniforms, you can't read the players' names. Um, and it, it, I guess it, or it's a or more general comment about the names on the uniforms in general. They're too small, and you can't read them. Um, so that's a bummer. Thankfully, I know who all of our dudes are, even though we have so much turnover. Um, but I hope that there aren't other teams out there with similar uniform situations because I'm not going to remember who any of the players are. Uh, and I realize that sounds like a very old man comment. The well, other those are the, white those are the waistbands, uniforms. hey, the white waistbands on those blue unis are slick. I'm yeah, telling you. They're hot. Those are hot. Okay, so, so <laughs> the, white, the, the waistbands are not white. They are blue. What they were doing is they were folding them over so that you saw the white, the underneath oh, band. Ah. They looked cool. And that's way. why they looked, that's why all those guys were wearing that shorts that made you think, oh, are we going back to the 1980s? Because so, some of them were quite short. This because they folded second, them over. That was my second comment about the uniforms is that the shorts look shorter. Before, um, I told you before the podcast that I, I knew we were going to be talking about the same thing. I, I was right. So, so I don't know if it was entirely due to the um, to the to the shorts being folded over because I noticed it on both sides of the team. Um, did they all have them folded in? Because I don't think so. I think some um, of them did because uh, uh, on the white on, on the on team white, also in team blue. Because um, really like Mark, uh, Bolden did not have them folded over, but I know Grayson Allen. I know and, uh, Bolden, and, and Bolden's were ones that I noticed. Bolden's yeah. were ones that I noticed were short. Um, yeah. Because you could see, you could see all these guys' knees last night, and I feel like five or six years ago, you couldn't see anybody's knees in college basketball. Yeah. Um. And and as somebody, I mean, I'm listen. I'm not an athlete. All right. Um. But I attempt to do athletic things from time to time. And uh, like if I wear really baggy shorts, I have a couple basketball shorts that like go below my knees. If I wear those to like play sports or go running or do anything, um, they're really cumbersome, and it it always it always bothered me kind of that that the basketball players would wear those incredibly long shorts because I never thought that they would contribute to them being good athletes. And I think that my thoughts are finally bubbling up to the highest levels of the sport. And the guys' shorts are getting shorter because they're realizing that they can be more mobile without all that, you know, fabric, like, like, you know, being around their knees and below their knees. Um, so it makes me, you know, not that I, I mean, I don't even remember, I'm not old enough to remember when the NBA had short shorts. Um, so I don't even, I'm not nostalgic about that, but it's at least good to see that the guys are like that. And, and what's really interesting now is that, you know, they all wear all that, um, they wear all the compression wear underneath of, um, underneath of the, of the free flowing clothes. And the compression wear has gotten so expansive that now I feel like you see the compression wear coming out of everywhere um, more so than you even see the uniforms. That's, yeah, you, that was kind of my you see Jason Tatum last night? There's fully. barely any skin on Jason Tatum. Yeah, he's got fully compression fully on his legs and his yeah. arms. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, if that's what it takes to like keep them warm and keep them doing whatever sportsy things they have to be doing, then fine. Um, that makes more sense than having like lots of baggy clothing coming around. And and like I think you saw that the the jerseys got tighter the last few years, 
and maybe it was only a matter of time before the before the shorts got that way too because now everything's like you know hyper maximized for you know ultimate ultimate sports exertion um so anyway this that was my this is also a trend in the nba as well also you might have seen uh this style of uh, uh of uniform um on team usa during the olympics um that yeah. is something that's a style that is now kind of filtrated to the the nba as well it makes sense. Anyway, that was what I wanted to say about the uniforms. Jason, did you have a parting shot? I do. I do have a parting shot. And by the way, I've been looking while well, you've been talking about it because I hadn't noticed it because I'm clearly not I'm not paying attention to the uniforms as much as you are. Um, there are some guys on the blue team who had um, who had folded over their waistbands and there's some who did not. So the uniforms were not uniform. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my parting shot is uh, this week, just a couple days ago, um, uh, former Duke great Elton Brand retired from the NBA. He had sort of retired last year, and then the Philadelphia 76ers had some injuries or something like that, and they were like, no, wait, Elton, come on, play for us, play for us. So he was like a player-coach kind of sort of thing. They also, had, they also had a lot of maturity issues because they, they, had, yeah. they only had like rookies and sophomores on the team. Maturity or lack thereof. <laughs> um, so uh, Elton Brand did officially – um, finally retire uh, uh, this past week. And um, I, it's, it is a great, great pity, I think, that there are many, many Duke fans, Sam's age or younger, um, who do not remember what a truly great, remarkable NBA player Elton Brand was. And um, confirm, was... I don't remember him. Yes. So uh, there was an article um, written on a, a Clipper fan site um, where, uh, where, where someone said, you know, there's, there's a case for saying that Elton Brand should be the first L.A. Clipper jersey to be retired. There's never been a retired L.A. Clipper jersey. Um, and, and there's kind of sort of, if, if Brand hadn't left the team when he left them, there's kind of sort of a case for Elton Brand being the first ever retired Clipper jersey. Um, Elton Brand's first eight years in the NBA were about as good as any first eight years you will ever see. He averaged 20-plus points per game in six of those first eight years. He averaged 10-plus rebounds per game in six of those first eight years. Um, he made a second-team All-NBA. He was 28 years old. He should have been right entering his prime, and he blew out his Achilles. And he, uh, he, his, he was never the same. He would never average – again, he was 28 when he blew out his Achilles. He would never average more than 15 points a game or nine rebounds a game again. Um, and this is a guy who you could book him for, like – between 20 and 25 points a game, and between 10 and 12 rebounds a game. He was, I mean, he was a force of nature in the paint. He was as good a big man as there was in the NBA back in the early 2000s. Um, uh, people, uh, you know, nowadays we think of the Clippers, we think of Chris Paul, we think of J.J. Redick, we think of Blake Griffin, and the Clippers are a really good team, a team that makes the playoffs every year. I'm telling you that for 30-plus years, the L.A. Clippers were the worst franchise in the NBA. They were terrible. They were awful. They never made the playoffs. Well, Elton Brand got there, and he led them to the playoffs one year um, in, two, I believe it was 2006. And that year he led them to the playoffs. He was an absolute beast. He averaged 25 points per game when they made the playoffs. Um, they had a, a, an amazing series they played against the Phoenix Suns back when the Phoenix Suns were the best team in the NBA. The Clippers took them to seven games. During that seven-game series, this was the second round of the playoffs. And again, this is the Clippers who are terrible, um, just awful. This would be like the 76ers making the second round and playing the Golden State Warriors. Um, Brand averaged 30.9 points per game, 
10 and a half rebounds per game, four and a half assists, and more than three blocks per game in that series. He was, he was un- unbelievably dominant. And, you know, if they'd gotten over the hump there, I think the Clippers might have made the NBA Finals. Uh, they, were, they were that good that year. And, and then he blew out his Achilles. And he was never the same player again. And I just want, for folks who have spent the past decade plus seeing a shadow of the real Elton Brand, I wanted to remind them from 2000 to 2006, this dude was just a crazy stud. Um, was on his way to perhaps being the best Duke player in the NBA, in NBA history. Um, and yes, I'm, I'm including Grant Hill and Kyrie Irving and some of the other really, really great players who played for Duke and then went on to the NBA. Elton Brand was that good. And, but for an Achilles injury, it, it's a real pity. So Elton, tip of the cap to you. Dude, you had an amazing career. And um, as much as my parting shot here has been sort of feeling sorry for the bad luck that caused him, the, the bad injury that caused his career to not be all that could have been and, uh, and the such, I will say he's still a guy who made um, about $170 million from his NBA salary. So it's, it's not like he suffered too much. So Elton Brand, thanks for being a, a wonderful representative of Duke University. Quick plug, his jersey is for sale in the Duke Student Store with his name on it. And it's yes, the it old, one of the older style jerseys. Yes, it is. I like it. Uh, my parting shot, uh, I just want to get, it's been a few weeks since we had our last podcast, and I want to give a quick shout out uh, to the Duke football team. Um, last weekend, they traveled to Louisville and played probably the best player in the country and uh, one of the best teams in the country. Uh, to a stalemate for almost the entire game all the way down to the last minute. I, I think they, I think what people uh, took um, from that game is that, you know, on the, one of our first games on the national stage, I mean, since that Notre Dame game, but this is one where you're facing a team that people said, I mean, we're going to just roll over us. And uh, Louisville played well, and we did too. And I think that is something that while we did lose, uh, I think there was a couple of, uh, key moments in the game um, that if they had gone the other way, we probably would be looking at uh, at least driving for a win or a chance to win. Um, there was a fumble that we recovered that uh, they called back because they said that the player had lost uh, four and had his forward progress stopped and that the whistle had blown. Horrible which was com- call. Completely Terrible bogus call. because they they have to have blown the whistle first and they didn't. Um, and then call. And then there was the unfortunate uh, uh, roughing the kicker penalty at the very end of the game that gave them. Uh, a new set of downs, and they scored in the very next play to make it 24-14. Um, we, we have that. We blocked that, or they missed that kick. Um, and we could have draw, driven for a chance to tie or win the game. Um, but I just want to give them a little shout-out because I think that was a game that really, you know, that combined with this bye week really could set a tone for them to get a couple more wins uh, in ACC play as we move forward. We, we do hit a tough, uh, tough stretch of our schedule. Um, a lot of our uh, teams that are very, very good are, back, are in the back end of the schedule, uh, including UNC, Virginia Tech, and Miami. Um, but I think this team has a little bit of fight in them, and I think we're going to see that on Saturday. We uh, play Georgia Tech, and uh, I, I like I liked uh, what I saw from that team, um, a team that uh, had every reason to, to mail it in, um, and most teams against Louisville have mailed it, including some top five, top two teams. Um, had just completely looked terrible against Louisville, and we didn't. And I think that is a, a, 
a statement um, that hopefully we can uh, we can carry on through the rest of the uh, uh, rest of the season. Yo, and by the way, uh, you know, you talked about that atrocious, terrible, horrible no fumble call. Um, it was like the next play or two plays later, I think. Louisville went for 80 yards, an 80-yard run. Yep. It was a 10-7 to 7 game. We were deep in their territory, um, and they make that horrible call, and literally like the next play or two plays later, I forget what it was, they went for 80 yards, and it, and it sort of changed the complexion. It absolutely changed the complexion of the game. It went from 10-7 to 7 to 17-7. to 7. Um, and it was the same thing on that uh, on the on the um, roughing the kicker. Like the very next play, they scored a touchdown and put the game out of reach. And I, I think uh, those two calls overshadowed uh, what was a tremendous effort by our team. Yeah, and and you know when we we sort of alluded to this game a few weeks ago on the podcast, and we were like, "Oh, it's a 34 point line," and none of us were like, "I'm taking Duke." Oh man, 34 points! I, Duke's definitely going to cover that. We were all like, uh, "We could lose by 50." Yeah. Lamar Jackson is the real deal. Um, I, I, th- I think that was clear. He even, like, he even, I think, gave some uh, props to our, de- our defensive line and our, and our defensive secondary just for the fact that I think we have played him. Uh, even, I mean, I know they lost to Clemson, but I think we're the team looking at what they've uh, accomplished this year. We're the team that's really gave them the most fits, and, and I think that is something to be said about our defense um, and uh, something to be said about the 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 tenacity and strength that our team has. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the season. But uh, I I think that's going to do it for episode 59 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Um, This has been a a lengthy one, and we hopefully, if you're at the end, uh, thank you for sticking around because uh, we obviously had a lot to talk about. We're very excited about uh, basketball coming back, and uh, we're also about to get back into football uh, after this little uh, break here. Um, you can find us on the DBR forums. Um, you can also find us on uh, Twitter or not Twitter. We're all on Twitter. Um, everybody's on Twitter, their individual names, but you can find us on the boards. That's where you want to come talk to us. Uh, DukeBasketballReport.com. Thank you very much to Mark Newton for coming on the show. Uh, thank you, Jason. Thank you, Sam, as always. And for now, Duke Band, take us home.